We're Kenyon and Takara Martin, faith-based marriage coaches, champions for healthy love, and lovers of pizza. And this is the Ask the Martins podcast, where we answer your single, married, or dating relationship questions with practical advice and research-based techniques. Have a relationship question you want answered? Well, send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram at Ask the Martins or visit us at AskTheMartins.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. All right, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into the letter. Yes. And let's go ahead and this is a letter that's um, actually when we began to read it is really close to our heart and you will hear why and you will understand why. And hopefully we can pull out something for anyone who's single out here. I want to make sure that you understand that you can listen to these because they are learning opportunities for you. But if you're also in a marriage and anyways uh, that that mimics this kind of situation uh, is going to definitely be something for you, too. All right. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and uh, jump on in here. So let's do it. This letter says, hi, I don't even know if I can do this, but I need some help. I've been married three months and sorry, about four months in March. Um, I adore my husband. He is my guy. However, I am so discouraged at how when we first met, we barely argued and we were like best friends. Now, as we have been married and gotten closer, it's been hard. Capital H-A-R-D. I've had to heal from from and healing from abusive, uh, sorry, narcissistic abuse He was divorced before we got married and his wife cheated on him. He loves to help me and I love to help him. He takes care of me and I love to make sure he is taken care of. But it seems like we always have some type of friction in the area of helping or caring for one another. I feel like he tries to overcompensate with me and what was lost before. And I feel like he lies when he says he's okay or doesn't need any help because he's done stuff on his own since he was in high school. I don't know what is going on, but it's more friction than we've ever experienced. I feel like I'm doing this all wrong. Okay. Okay. Now here's the thing that we, and that we pulled in on heartfelt. You can, you can kind of, Pivot, babe. Pivot. Just pivot slow. Pivot slow. I'm pivot. gonna come on. Bring it. There slow. you go. <laughs> all right. Not not all the way over here. You okay. Get, I want you to be able to um, pull in. But <laughs> Lord have mercy. Okay. Go. <laughs> you two, you are missing the party over here. Sorry. Uh, but but okay. Never mind. The one one of the reasons why this tugged on our heartstrings uh, as it did is because it really mimicked a lot of Takar and my own background Yeah. Uh, before we were married. Mm-hmm. Uh, Takar went through uh, a level of emotional and narcissistic abuse um, um, and in a previous relationship, in a previous marriage, as well as um, with with leadership, yep. church leadership and things of that nature yep. that tried to keep her in that kind of relationship. Um, obviously, I went through... Um, a very similar circumstance um, previous in the past where I had to deal with being cheated on as well or infidelity as well. And so how we began, even with those wounds, even her having her wounds and me having my wounds, um, we were able to not only come together, but we were able to be each other's healing point. But 
we weren't able to be each other's healing point until we recognized a few things about ourselves um, that we actually went through prior to getting together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what we're going to do is we want to actually approach this situation, not just from a standpoint of, of observation and our in, in our profession or whatever, but we also want to approach the situation from a standpoint of knowing that there's a personal stake in this. There's we have a personal experience, experience yeah. in this right here. And if you're out there, both of you, um, both of you actually have a mirror in us. And I want you to see this. Uh, like like you're looking in a mirror or in a potential future. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Again, all of our single people keep, keep listening because sometimes here's what we found. Our singles, this isn't far from, this is only three to four months removed from being single. And so our, we forget that our singles have gone through a lot and they don't know when they're ready. They don't know um, what they must do to prepare. They don't, even if the the perfect person is right there. Right. Does that make sense? It does. And, and not only do you know, see, I'm, I'm going to just try to just do that right there. There you right? go. So not only do we not know if we're ready, we don't know if we're healed. I think we go into relationships sometimes believing that we're healed. We go in believing that everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as we are triggered, we then feel like, like almost like if you're anything like me, retreating. As soon as somebody does something that you know um triggers us or reminds us of our past and so i think this is going to be very 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 interesting because you're going to see a lot of again a lot of stuff that we've dealt with and then how to properly um cope and deal with stuff when you get into a relationship and you still have some emotional injuries absolutely so let's go ahead and get started now the the, the questions that we pulled out here it are are two questions all right mm -hmm. the first question i pulled out or we pulled out is we're married. We're experiencing conflict that we've never had to deal with before. Is something wrong with us? Okay. Right. right. And then the second question was um, more overtly, am I doing this all wrong? So let me ask, answer the first question about, am I doing this all wrong? You are not doing this all wrong. You just because there's conflict doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. Every single relationship is unique to this world. There is no two relationships alike, not near a one. And because yeah. there's not near a relationship uh, alike, um, there has to be some some gelling up, up, um, uh, a time for that. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but also every marriage has conflict. Conflict is extremely necessary. This is something that we actually teach or, or when we coach, when we have the opportunity to coach, this is what we coach. Conflict is actually necessary. It tells you where, how far you've come as well as how far you need to go. Right. It's a, it's a way and it's, it's a way in which you interact in that conflict that creates the, um, the, the knowing of how we are in it, in this marriage or in this relationship. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So here's the thing. What I want to do, because you're new, let's go ahead and set up some dynamics. I want to help you understand where you are. Now, marriage means a lot of things. Marriage includes a lot of things, but I'm only going to include a few that apply to this particular situation because I really want you to get something here. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. So number one, when dating, uh, when, when you're dating, marriage is the goal. Okay. 
when you're dating, marriage is the goal. So we're working towards that particular or specific goal, right? Yeah, I'm like, when you're dating, marriage is a place of deliverance. <laughs> right. <laughs> marriage, yeah. Delivered from the single ministry. That's right. That's what they call it. I don't think that's deliverance. Sometimes I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just, right. you know, folks out there. Um, but after marriage, what do you do? What do you do after marriage? Because because what happens is <laughs> you run out of goals. Right. And that's the that's one of the big issues. Now I'm building a foundation here, but there's a different dynamic between dating and married. It's like um, it's like when a, an athlete wins the big game and then retires due to some injury, even though they won that game, they lost their identity. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're fighting for. They don't know what purpose they're going for. They don't really understand why we're here. I got here. I'm on top of the world. But what do I do once I am here? Go ahead, babe. You said when they got there, they lost their identity. Mm -hmm. And when you get into marriage, you are supposed to lose your identity. But part of the conflict we have is fighting for our identity all at the same time. Absolutely. Like that is so good. Okay, Absolutely. I will be quiet and let you keep talking. And now. so the dynamic of, of of dating is like, I won my marriage. Now what do we do? Now what? Outside of staying together. So the second level, the second level is, is that number two, we kind of go into commitment mode. I'm going to be the best committed party that I can. I'm going to focus on commitment and continuing and pers- um, and, and uh, perpetuating this commitment so that we can be- begin to just have all the things that married people have. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that commitment can't be the focus. Commitment isn't a goal. Um, I'm, we, we worry about how to keep them happy, him or her happy, how to continue our vows um, how do I continue to show commitment? Right. But the bottom line is, is that commitment is just a disposition that's always tested in conflict. So commitment is always there. It's not something that we need to focus on. It's something that we need to be as far as in our marriage. Right. You see what I'm saying? But if we don't. And here's the reason why I say this is because every time there's a conflict, the first thing we worry about is commitment level, whether they're still committed to us and whether we still want to be committed to this. And that's the first thing that becomes questioned if it's not part of the disposition of being married. You see what I'm saying? Or if we go, and I think what, what's really important is with any relationship, I think, especially when, when you're coming in after being emotionally hurt, yes, the very first thing that happens when you have a big fight, where you start having fights is, did I make a mistake? And oh my God, this is not supposed to be happening. Did I, you know, like what what's Absolutely. going on here? Right. And so when you get in and you start questioning that commitment level, it is because you went into relationships not realizing that conflict is supposed to honestly strengthen your level of commitment and it's supposed to dig deep into that and so because we don't have healthy ideas of what conflict is because we've just only seen conflict as fighting yeah and not as places where we actually grow as soon as conflict hits we literally get in there and we start like again retreating because what's going to happen next where am i going next and all kind of anxiety hits and so this letter is an opportunity to help y'all see that conflict is so necessary but it is not bad absolutely so you're married what are you doing <laughs> what are you really doing and dating you learned to and you learned each other and you learned to enjoy each other and dating it was courting it was about gaining favor uh, enough to say that we belong together in marriage, you grow together. Now, that sounds real simple, 
Mm-hmm. That sounds real simple. In marriage, you grow together. But let me break this down in terms that I understand. I love to use the word whenever I get an opportunity. I'm not a Bible thumper, but I love to use it. So let me show you something real quick. In John, the gospel of John, 15, chapter, chapter 15, verse 4, Christ says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in a vine. Another... Uh, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, the thing is, if this principle and instructions, if, if this principle and instructions are things that Christ has given the church, right? Mm-hmm. Then it stands to reason that these are principles and instructions that can be applied in some way to marriage. Does that make sense? Right. So here's what I want to do. I want to step back from this particular scripture and, and, and allow you to understand what this actually means. The, the word abide is mino uh, in Greek, is, is mino. And it means the condition of oneness. Mm. If we are one, if you're one with me and I'm one with you, then we can be fruitful together. Right. Does that make sense? Right. It's a condition of oneness. But here's the situation. They know something that we don't know. I don't know about you, but I get my grapes at the grocery store. I don't have a vineyard. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I get my fruit at the grocery store. I don't have any fruit trees, at least not in my not in my yard. And so what they know as farmers and as botanists, you know, or whatever they're doing, what they know is the process of grafting a branch onto a vine. Makes sense? What I'm saying is, let me show you. Once you cut a branch off, right? Mm-hmm. And you bring it to the vine you want to graft it to. You have to notch that vine. That vine must be wounded. And that's one of the deep parts of it that when Christ said, if you abide in me, he knew he was going to be wounded. Now, we're not preaching that, but I just want to let you know, the vine has to be wounded in order for the broken branch to be put in. Wow. Then the branch has to be somehow adhered to or tied to it to keep it there in that spot so that they can become one. One. Now, what they understand that we don't understand as grocery shoppers, but they understand as as farmers is that they understand that it's a a process. Once you bind a branch to the vine, there's a healing process. It has to heal together first. Mm. So when you when you have that period of healing, it's not going to produce any fruit. It's not. It's going to. As long and in, in, in the best conditions, as long as we keep it together, it's going to have conflict in the way that it comes together biologically. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Right. So it takes some time. And depending on the conditions and some of the best conditions, it will not yield fruit for about two to three years. <sighs> so understand how this applies. From a Christian point of view. Christ is wounded, we see that we are, we need to repent, we're broken, we come together, and it's a process of coming into one with Christ. Right. And marriage, oh, go ahead. Wait. It's, mm-hmm. 
so and when we're coming into one with Christ, one of the first things that we are always told to do, and it's in the scripture, it's talking about we have to die to ourselves. Right. We and have to die to ourselves daily. Christ was already wounded. When we become connected to him, now we have to be wounded and die to ourselves and deny our flesh and our own personal identity to take on the identity of Christ. Now what happens in marriage? So in marriage, you have someone who's emotionally, mentally, and physically in one space in their area whether they're dating or not they love each other they're not selfish or anything like that but they still exist in that one place right emotionally physically and mentally you have another person who exists in their own space still in love they're they're good together but they still are separate they're independent there's a difference between being independent and being being an individual yes we're able to be individuals but we can't be independent so what happens if you wound one and wound the other in order to put them back together. This is the part of marriage that nobody talks about is the idea that we lose our independence and in trying to maintain our individuality. That's and the so problem good. is we often fight for our individuality and or we often fight for our independence instead of our individuality. Does that make sense? <sighs> yes, 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 yes. And so what you have here is you have two people who come together. We're talking about just laying a foundation here. We're talking about two people who come together who have to unlearn themselves and learn to be with someone else in a we way, in an us way, in an abiding way. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's going to take time. Again, as they understood, it's going to take two to three years. Now, looking at us, you probably think that we had it all together when we came together. And for the most part, Takara was my blessing. Aww. And I loved her. And she would say, I'm her, but would you say, I'm your, you're right here. Oh, yeah. You are absolutely <laughs> my blessing, my gift, my so ultimate silly. upgrade. How oh, about well, you know. So <laughs> let me, I just want, I, I, I want IG to see when you say that because oh, okay. I, I want them to know you're telling the truth. Okay. But, I, okay. Sorry. But here's the thing. Five years in, we're much better today than we was on day one. Absolutely. Regardless of how well we got together, regardless of how well we do things, we're much better today than we were on day one. We just had an argument earlier. This was it last week. Last week. Yeah. Last, yeah. We just had an argument last week. And the fantastic thing about having that argument is we were able to walk away and come back together and say, you see how we handled that, right? Right. We we really we measure ourselves and we do this all the time. Whenever we have conflict, we measure ourselves in that conflict to find out where we need to go and what we need to do together. Yep. How I behave towards her, how I keep her safe, how I make sure she's secure, how I make sure I respond, how I make sure I know that if she missays something that she didn't mean it that way yes yeah and so all of that but then also for me how i'm not making assumptions of where you are what you're thinking about what you know what's what's really behind what you're saying and all of that stuff that especially new in relationships new in marriage we do whenever there's conflict we go into fear mode and we start to automatically what Brene brown says start telling ourselves the stories of what's going on in their mind before they ever have the opportunity to communicate even worse we do not then go to them and say Here's what I'm feeling right now. Can you like like what's really going on? Here's how this situation is making me feel right now. Can you you know can you tell me what's going on with you? And if Kenyon says nothing, sometimes he may mean something. Sometimes, but also I know that there are times where he has come to me and said, "Listen, 
there is something, but I don't think it's wise for us to talk about it right now. I'm going to just go ahead and eat this. But, like, just give me a minute. I'll be okay. And I leave him be. But we've had to grow to that point where whenever there's anything going on around each other, we check in with each other. We always connect with each other. So that way, when, when conflict does arise, when he doesn't feel like being bothered or, you know, when I'm in my introverted place and I just want to lay on the couch and not speak to anybody, we have developed an internal culture within us that says when conflict arises, we're not going to uh, go off of our feelings or what that situation makes us feel. We're going to come together and we're always going to make sure we end on the same page, even if we disagree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a part of that culture is full emotional transparency. Yes. Full honesty. Mm-hmm. And we've set that precedent even while we were dating. Not saying you guys weren't honest. I'm not saying that at all. But there's a place where we have to be fully transparent even when we don't feel like it or even when we have not learned to. And let's be honest. It's challenging when we're coming from broken places. Him coming from a place of being cheated on. Me coming from a place of uh, you know narcissism, abuse, and things like that in my past. One of the hardest things for us to do is be transparent is because on some level we are afraid if I show this person everything that I am, there you have the opportunity to reject me. Absolutely. If I expose myself, is it going are they going to guard me or are they going to expose me in return? And part of that honesty in your relationship should be followed up with, I got you. I am not going to leave you. I am not going to forsake you. And here's how we're going to cover each other's wounds as we grow in this place of oneness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now that we have that that foundation of of this is a period in which you both are um, growing into the condition of oneness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now that we have that foundation of breaking of the branch and the vine and putting them together, what happens when the branch is already wounded? What happens when the, what happens when the vine is already bruised? And that's what we're seeing in this specific situation. What we're seeing is we're seeing a bruised and wounded branch from abuse, a bruise and and, and wounded vine from infidelity. And now we have to put those together. We have to, we have to put them together and which is another small wound or a change in your perception and the dynamics of the way you interact with each other. But you're still dealing with the older stuff. Because if you think about it, and again, I love this analogy. Like I have never thought about this analogy like this. When you think about like a broken branch and mm-hmm. how at the ends it's all prickly and you've got stuff longer than the other. You've got pokey stuff. You've got sticky stuff, whatever. When you try to stick it into any hole, I'm not going to demonstrate it because it looks like gross if I'm trying to do it like right. But if you try to stick it into the place where it's supposed to be grafted into and that's already bruised, automatically it feels like it doesn't fit. Absolutely. And so you're going to have to hurt it and injure and then break off pieces of yourself as you're trying to come together and merge and graft together. Man, listen, if you could really take that in your mind, how much more empathetic would we be to our partners and our spouses if we realize both of us are coming in here trying to grow together trying to become one but i i want to be careful not to wound you in the process absolutely 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 and so let me go ahead i want to go through the wounds in these two individuals i want to walk through what this looks like in these two individuals all right number one 
the person abused by a, a narcissist. A person who is abused by a narcissist has been conditioned to exchange effort for love. Mm-hmm. A person who is abused by a narcissist have been conditioned to avoid conflict. And that, that's, that, that's one big thing right there. That's the reason why it doesn't feel so good. A person who has been conditioned by a narcissist um, proactively seeks out what's wrong in order to cut it off before it becomes an issue. Let, man. Because they're looking to avoid the blow up. Right. Okay. It's a, it's a constant state of anxiety. Yes. To Absolutely. make sure you're watching and seeking the environment to make sure you don't do anything that upsets the environment. You're walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm. A person abused by a narcissist is conditioned to use the attribute of love as a proving ground to prove themselves, to prove that I love you, to prove to prove these things. And the reason why is is because narcissism typically rewards rewards uh, with love after you concede to whatever they want you to concede to. My God. After they break you, they reward with love. A person who is um, a person who has been abused by a narcissist is conditioned to feel like they're constantly failing. And that's exactly what we heard in that letter. You're conditioned to not want to feel like I'm failing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, that's one hurt. That's a hurt branch or vine. Okay. Let's go to the other one. A man who has been cheated on. Now. I'm, I'm going to lay this out real because I know, you know, these things are can be vice versa in a sense. But there is a definitive difference between a man and a woman. And so there's a definitive difference in our psychology and how we handle infidelity. Are you in a place in your marriage where it seems like you're not connecting or something is missing? Or are you in a place where you're looking to build on an already great partnership? Or maybe you're struggling with a deeper issue, one where you've been hurt and you just don't know if you're both going to make it. Whether it's strengthening a good marriage or repairing a broken one, this book is for you. Covered, four essential pillars that will safeguard, support, and restore your marriage. And covered, you and your spouse will learn how to make your marriage one that is safe and secure. You will become each other's personal shelters of support, healing, and hope. You will truly become each other's covering. Covered is packed with exercises and discussion questions you'll be able to do together as a couple, or you can share your journey with a small group of couples. Covered four essential pillars that will safeguard, support, and restore your marriage. The easy-to-read practical guide for couples that want to cover or recover their marriage. Visit CoveredMarriages.com to get your copy today. That's CoveredMarriages, all one word, dot com. So a man who has been cheated on feels a deep sense of personal failure. I get it. It goes all the way around. 
a man who's been cheated on um, feels a different he takes on a title with women and let me put this let me put this in perspective here with a woman a man feels like a protector and a provider among other things but right. a protector and provider right. right all of the titles or are the entire attribute or disposition of a husband centers around strength you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It centers around how strong he is. How it centers around protection. How do I keep someone out? But also, whether you know it or not, ladies, it also he also thinks of how do I keep them out, but how do I keep her in? How do I make sure everything is right? And all of that is centered around strength. So when a man is cheated on, he's impacted in two ways. The first way is he was not able to prevent an outside influence. He wasn't strong enough. But the second way, he wasn't able to keep what was inside. And so in both those ways, we take it hard and we feel, based upon our position and our disposition in the relationship, like we are weak. Right. Like we're inept, inept like we're incapable, and like we failed. Like we not just that we failed, but we are failures. That's a very important point to get because this is where the brokenness is. So what happens with a man like this who actually survives this and doesn't, you know, bow out or 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 go bow out and changes his whole stilo. Right. What tends to happen is subsequent relationships. He handles them much differently. He does everything to prove himself worthy. Right. Now, he's not only proven himself worthy to her, but he's also internally, subconsciously trying to prove himself worthy to him because I need to show that I am not that person back there. Right. Um, he's always in a place where because he felt like he wasn't able to keep her or he wasn't able to keep another man out. He always is in a place of personal accountability. So when it comes to these type type situations, when she's asking him the idea of are you okay okay or what's wrong with you? He says, I'm dealing with it myself. That's very correct. If you take personal accountability for the past loss you have, you're going to take personal accountability for what you're trying to keep right now. And the the mistake that many men in this situation make is we try to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. We try to keep her ourselves. And so partnership is lost in the translation of trying to win this time around. Does that make sense? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So with that being said, here's what I want to do. I want to reread the, uh, a small part of the, of the letter, but with the idea that we already know um, someone is broken by narcissism and someone is broken, broken by infidelity. All right. Uh, Previously, she said, I feel like he tries to overcompensate with me and what was lost before. And I feel like he lies when he says he's okay or doesn't need help because he's done stuff on his own since high school. I don't know what is going on, but it's more friction than we ever have experienced. This is what that translates to. I feel like there's something wrong and I'm trying to get to it before it becomes an issue. Mm. Narcissism survivor. I feel like his effort, and we're going to see more of her since she was the one who wrote the letter. 
I feel like his efforts towards me are more to keep him from losing me, which could possibly be the case. And I'm here for him and I'm not going anywhere. How can I prove that to him? That's another issue with the narcissist survival, trying to prove that you don't have to um, that you don't have to win my love. I, mm-hmm. I got you. Mm-hmm. He won't let me in when I check on where he is. That's a reflection of him taking accountability and doing everything by himself. He says it's OK, but I don't believe him, especially since he seems like he's so used to doing things alone. Okay, and I don't believe him. And the thing is, is that I don't believe him because I want to be believed. You see what I'm saying? So there's still a lot of this conflict that's going on in the midst of this. A lot of bruising going on in the midst of this healing of this new relationship. I don't know what is going on, but it's more conflict than we have ever experienced. I'm afraid that I'm doing this all wrong. And the presence of that conflict creates the issue of I think that I'm doing something wrong because you've always been told in the midst of conflict that you've always been doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yes. So what we're seeing is two broken people disconnected, reconnected, and they're trying to heal through that reconnection to each other, but also continue to heal from whatever their past wounds are. Whether they know it or not, these things come out subconsciously. These things happen. One of the things that Takara and I were, it was extremely sensitive to those areas of bruising. Right. We were extremely sensitive to the insecurities, the fears, the the um the the issues that could come about because of someone made the wrong move different, someone says something incorrectly. We were very open about those. We were open about how we felt, but we right. were also we were also assisting and the way each other felt. But I think I think the, the important thing to note, like you keep saying, is that we were open from jump. Like when we got together, we were very um we were very, very clear about where we were, yeah. what had hurt us, how it broke us down, how we were supposed to trying to build back up, and what failure in this next relationship was going to look like for us. And so we were like, here's what we're going to do, and here's what we're going to not do when we're together. I'm going to ask you a question off the cuff, and I'm sorry, I'm going to throw you off script, but I love okay, you so cool. much. Will you please answer this question? Sure. How does a man get to a point where he is able to open up and be vulnerable with a woman that he loves, especially a wife. Like I'm not talking about just a girlfriend, but let's say a fiance or I'm getting married. I'm married. At what point does a man need to be at before he can uh, expose his hurts, expose his vulnerabilities and not feel like, uh, or feel ashamed for being in that vulnerable place. The myth of opening up, is that we think we're going to automatically get it. Mm. We think that it's automatically going to happen. We think that a light is going to turn on and suddenly we're opened up. Right. The myth of of being emotionally vulnerable and 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 being transparent in that way is that it doesn't happen automatically. There, there, right. There's not one altar that could create that for us. There is not one book we can read that could create that for us. You see what mm-hmm, I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What we have to do is we have to be, we have to, for men, 
we can have it modeled in front of us. Mm-hmm. So if we begin to befriend someone or be mentored by someone who they, they themselves are are open and transparent about themselves, we can look at it and say, I, I, I admire that. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. But for men, what we have to do, because let's be honest here, and I'm going to say this, and I've said it probably a hundred times, I don't know. Men are just as emotional as women. Men are just not as, as emotionally articulate as women. Mm-hmm. So men don't have that that skill. Most men, not all, but most men don't have that skill set where they're already, of, uh, they have words mm-hmm. for, for um, how they feel. And so what a man has to do is he has to do it like he does everything else. He has to practice. Mm-hmm. Just like he's on the court, just like he's on the field, just like he's in the ring, just wh- whatever he is, just like he um, um, does with the um, the vehicle, the plumbing, the wh- whatever else he puts his hands on, whether it be accounting, uh, stocks, whatever, he has to practice. He has to practice identifying himself to her. There's something online. Uh, it's something that's, um, that counselors use, but there's there's um, a version of it online that you could probably look. And it's called an emotion wheel or a feeling wheel. Oh, yeah. The feeling wheel. Okay. It's I've a seen feeling the feeling wheel. wheel. And so there's many different variations of them. But what happens is, is that on the outskirts of the wheel, there are emotions. And a person will pick out an emotion. I feel melancholy. Right. Nobody so, uses the word melancholy. Nobody uses the word melancholy. <laughs> like, nobody right? uses that word. <laughs> outside, outside of Darius Love Hall. Okay, he, okay. He used it. He does. But but you see melancholy amongst other words as somber, as or so on and so forth. Then you can use some words. See, most men don't use them words. Exactly. <laughs> but you look for that word and then you drill down to the next, what's the word up under that? And the word up under that. And you look and see what is it that I actually feel sad. Right. Right. And sad is more towards the center. And so what you do as a male, you learn how to understand what you feel. Now, if you're anything like me, you can probably crack open the dictionary too, just to make sure these are accurate. But that's just me. But the idea is, is that you have to practice opening yourself up and you don't have to do it with everyone. Right. And I suspect I should I suggest that any man with his wife with the with the woman that he's going to spend the rest of his life with, he pres- he he um, prefaces what he's what he's about to do. Babe, I'm about to practice my transparency and my vulnerability with you. Mm. Be patient with me as I do this because I need to practice how I feel. I don't feel good right now, or I feel extraordinarily good right now, and this is why. And as he begins to open up, it's her job to make it a safe place for him. Right. Again, we're talking about. A vine and a branch. We're talking about a team effort. He can't do this alone. He has to learn that there's teamwork in even the way that he feels. Right. He has to learn that there's teamwork in even what's being brought out and about from him. Fruitfulness is teamwork. Being fruitful in your marriage is teamwork. The branch won't do it by itself and the vine can't do it by itself. It needs both of you. So she provides a safe place for him Mm -hmm. and he practices. He just goes hard at it. And as he goes hard at it, he learns himself. He learns how to speak. He learns what hurts. He knows he learns what he's embarrassed by. But eventually he learns that he's safe with her. Now, as that as we go into that, let's talk about some of the solutions for these two, because I think that folds right into those solutions. Yes. Is that OK? Yes, it does. The first thing you both need to come to the truth of is that you didn't fail. You were failed. Neither one of you failed. You were failed. Now, 
we can't control other people at all. There's no way we can control other people. We can contribute to circumstances, sure, but they make their own choices. Right. You understand what I'm saying? So that as a man, since, since I'm speaking as a man, one of the biggest things I came came to terms with is that in inside that infidelity, I contribute to some circumstances, but I did not contribute to that choice. That's right. That choice was all her. She owned it. She's the failure. Mm-hmm. Period. So I didn't hold that, but I but I held um, I held what belonged to me, my behavior. But understand, neither one of you are failures. You were failed. That's right. Number two, you got to learn that your approach to oneness is not about um, using the relationship as a proving ground. Okay. In other words, both of you have had loss. One has been groomed and proving herself. He is focused on proving himself. And through that loss, um, it will make you use the relationship as a place to prove that you're not failures. So you don't have to use a relationship as a proving ground. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Um, two things here. Um, and I think you might touch on therapy later, but I think therapy was very important to, to go there. But one of the things, um, I'm going to put our coaching hat on really quickly. Yes. Um, one of the things that I have had to learn to do coming from someone who has survived, you know, narcissistic abuse is consistently and it's a process and it's a practice consistently asking myself in the very beginning when I'm doing things when I'm overcompensating when I'm trying to give when I'm trying to prove when I'm trying to make life easy on him because I don't want to make him upset because I don't want to inconvenience him am I doing this because I love them or am I doing this because I'm afraid of losing them? Absolutely. And you have to constantly check your motivations and they look the same, right? I love you so much. I don't want to lose you. Absolutely. But when it's fear, when you're literally comes down to your heart racing and when you're thinking your thoughts are leading you to a negative place and your negative place says, I need to do this before this happens. That's coming from a place of fear. You have to practice being who you are because you love yourself and you have to practice being who you are to them because you love them. And you know that if nothing else at the bare bottom, I deserve they love like they're going to get all my love and I'm going to get all theirs. I deserve it. Like it's not about I have to earn it. And that's why our relationship with Christ is supposed to mirror marriage. There is nothing that we can do that would make us um, have to earn God's love. It's given freely. And that has to be your approach to your marriage as well. Otherwise, you will accept garbage of how somebody treats you and make you feel like you have to work to get that love. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for fellas, here's the thing. Um, I know the word fear stings. None of us like to use it. Right. I ain't afraid of nothing. Look. I ain't afraid right, of nothing. Right, right. If we point it out on that feeling wheel, we'll say concerned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm concerned. Um, or I want to be sure. Right. I want right. to be certain. I'm cautious. Mm-hmm. These are all things that on the exterior, but on the interior, take your time. Um, you want to be transparent with how you feel, but take your time with the words that hurt. Words like fear hurts, brothers. Because it makes us feel weak. Right. When a man, whenever a man comes to you as his woman or wife and says, I'm afraid of something, 
it is up to you to make sure that that environment that you stand in, that he gives you that, is safe for him to say that. Yes. Because the moment that you become unsafe for him is the moment he sucks all that back in and walks back the other way. He retreats. He'll, he'll keep it to himself and he'll realize that he can't trust you with what's inside him. So, again, it's a team effort. And that's a, number three. You can't do oneness alone. You can't do oneness alone. This is a partnership. It's we. It's we. There are some things that Takara, me and Takara has been doing doing things from actually from from the point of dating and there's some material that i wrote and she wanted to add to it earlier on and 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 i was like i was offended like why would you (laughs) want to add to what i wrote i'm good and then she began critiquing it and i was like hold up wait a minute who you think you are this i'm i'm the i'm the dude you see what i'm saying i'm I'm writing this (laughs) right But the problem was because I wasn't a partner in that particular situation, it didn't give us the kind of results that it could have gave us if I had partnered with her. Mm. Later, as we did more material together, worked together, grew together and became in that oneness. Now it's like, babe, proofread this, add add that piece that you need to add to it, see if it speaks to your spirit and let's roll. Mm -hmm. We work together seriously just like that it's like butter it's like a well-oiled engine and then there comes trust and then there's come yeah we do trust each other yes there comes trust and and in our book like listen our book for marriage is covered safety security trust empathy yes none of these work without the symbiotic relationship of all of them coming together and when we first got together again we hold on so tightly to ourselves and our identity and what we're bringing to the table that we miss opportunities to partner with each other but it's all really based on I don't trust you absolutely that's basically it I do not trust you with all of me I do not trust you to care for me the way that I care for me or, or the way that I even think I should be cared for and so when it comes down to us partnering together now and I can things as simple as like not simple but things like you know Kenyon allowing me to like help now with books and we partner together on books um is now also things as simple as me like leaving my phone around like babe look at this like scroll through this look at this right here and not worried about what somebody else is going to send through and him not even tripping off and him deciding oh cool let me look at your phone like this is the kind of thing that happens once you begin to trust somebody with you but that does not happen just because you said I do right it happens because it's a consistent effort of really you showing yourself vulnerable and allowing yourself to be trusted with their vulnerability. And it's a process. It's going to take time. But when it comes to this um, partnership, for those two who who are in this who, who in, in this letter, I'm going to give you uh, two clues in how to achieve at least a piece of that partnership. Uh, for the young lady, you don't have to check in on him. Trust that he's okay. Just trust. And as you practice learning to trust that he's okay, you'll learn that he's okay. You're a nurturer that has been abused. And so you do want to check in on him. But you want to make sure that um, part of your nurturing is trusting him. Trusting and respecting a man nurtures him to step up to the place of being respected. Mm -hmm. You, You understand what I'm saying? On the other end of that, just because she doesn't check in on you doesn't mean that you don't tell her where you are. 
So as she steps out and she nurtures you with trust and respect, you step back and you nurture her with or you work on her and you uh, you nurture her with um, with uh, empathy, open, transparent empathy. This I know belongs to you. So let me share that with you. Y'all get our book covered. I'm telling you, it'll bless your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so be open about your needs. Be open about your desires. Be open, open about your feelings. So as she trusts you, you empathize and you be, um, become, begin to actually respond to her trust with trusting her with you. Right. Right. Makes sense? Yeah. Um, number four, become a part of each other's healing journey. Become a part of each other's healing journey. A lot of people who, who we, we've ran people through the Soul Ties Detox or whatever the case may be. And one of the questions that they always ask us is, how do I know that I'm healed so I can go and get into this new relationship? Right. How do I know that I'm ready? And the correction is, how do I know that I'm healed enough? Everybody's not going to be totally 110% healed before they move into a relationship that they're in love with someone with. You need to know that you're healed enough where you don't totally spaz out regarding that particular relationship. Right. But now that you're both together, you want to be extraordinarily sensitive to where the other one has come from. So if something bothers you, for instance, I'm checking on you. Um, I want to know if you're okay. And in the back of your mind, I don't think he's going to tell me. You say, listen, I've gone through so much trying to prove myself. And I just, I just want you to be open to me. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You have those kind of conversations. You have open and honest conversations. There is a method in order to talk in conflict or talk through conflict. We can't we can't get through that tonight. But in the meantime, understand that you want open and honest conversations that don't beat them up, but just lets them know where you are. Hey, listen, I'm I'm struggling because I really want to get get you with me or at least feel you. Mm hmm. And I want you to feel me. I want you to understand me. And this is how you become part of each other's healing journey. You tell someone how you feel based upon your past. And you become sensitive to how they are. Right. I had to ask Kenyon at one point, like, is it bothering you that I ask you this? Or is it bugging you that I do this? And like, because I do check in and now we check in on each other. That just became a part of our um, we work together, live together, sleep together. Like we don't, we're in each other's space all the time. But you'd be amazed at how easy it is to become disconnected because we get into our own places and our own minds and our own thoughts. And so, yes, we we do talk about this in our book cover too. Is that we've developed a culture of just making sure that we check in with one another. Babe, Absolutely. you good? How are you? Things going on? And it's not to be like, what's wrong with you? What you doing? Like, what's happening? It's more like I don't want to make sure you're good you're good and then like going back and forth like and then it went from checking in to like really going like hey i love you yeah hey i miss you hey can i see you tonight like it just becomes like a way that we communicate so that way to him i'm not only doing it when i suspect or think something's wrong absolutely and then he also know that that's my way of staying connected to him so i don't ever emotionally get so distant that he has to come looking for me and finding me either. absolutely we learned that if just to just to throw this back a little bit we learned that within our first year of marriage what happened is we dated long distance so we were used to a lot of communication Right. Once we got into our first year of marriage, we were obviously living together. And so we took it for granted that we were living together. 
And when we took we took it for granted that we were living together, so we saw each other, so we stopped talking. Yeah. And one day we just we just threw our hand like something's not right, something's wrong, something <laughs> is something is not clicking. And then one day it hit me. We're no longer talking. We've taken it for granted that we're married. Mm-hmm. That's very important. Never take it. Always look for each other. Yeah. Always seek each other. Right. Always try to find each other in all things, in all ways, and always seek to be found. Always look to be seen. Right. Always look to be open. Okay. This is the part of y'all's relationship that no one else will ever get. No one ever in your life outside of you two will ever get this right here. Mm. Look for each other. Uh, Number five is counseling or coaching is always going to be good in order to just tighten you up in those little places. A lot of people believe that counseling and coaching um, is hold on. I got to say I got to say hello and thank you. Portia Um, always coming through with the super chat. What's up, Portia? Portia has given us the super chat every all the time. And I appreciate you and I thank you. We love you. Thank you so much. But we also got a second one from Tara, and we thank you so much for that, too. Thank you for the we're super not, chat, Tara. We're, we're not used to the super chat, so it, it always excites me every time something comes through. So thank you so very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so, yeah, you want – a lot of people think that counseling is for when things go bad. It's not. It's preventative. It's preventative, too. It's it's like um, getting a checkup every year like we should do, like, you know, but – Take me, for instance. I generally don't like going to the doctor. Um, I don't. I'm I'm scared of what they might find or I just don't feel like it. I just feel like I feel so good about myself. I'm all right. And that's how we can get with our relationship that oh, I feel good about us. We all right. While you over there suffering over there suffering. But then also men mostly don't go to counseling because they assume it's going to say that something's wrong with them. It's it's the assumption that if I go, if I if if I go to counseling, number one, somebody's going to tell me something's wrong with me or it internally means that there's something wrong with me. So a a lot of men say no to counseling anyway. I would say newlyweds, especially your first 45, 90 days, six month, one year, 12 month checkup. Like you should be going in there and like dissecting what you're dealing with. So you don't have to do it alone. I remember um, I asked Kenya, I was like crying. I was boohooing. I was like, this is it. Like we need to go to therapy. I want to go to counseling. Like, I don't care if we coach. I want to go to counseling. And the sweetest thing he said was that I'll go because if you're telling me that there's something I don't get, I just want to understand you better. Like, I just want to get you. And I will be willing to go, like, if if that's what it's going to take for me to make sure that I get to know you better. I don't ever want to feel like I'm missing opportunities to get to know you. And I was like get on my nerves <laughs> and I, don't I don't even like need either. like I don't even need to go no more like that was so sweet <laughs> but it was the fact that he didn't take the stance of no I'm too good for this no I've been to school for this no like this is what I do how are you gonna tell me I need help right he right, took a right. step back and realized and really like, y'all because we really do practice what we preach I'm going to go because I know that there's something that I'm missing and I need to be able to see my wife clearer Absolutely. And that's what that meant for us. And so, y'all, I'm telling you, baby, that messed me up. Listen, just because you're an ophthalmologist don't mean you don't need no glasses. Listen, you better you go ahead what I'm and saying? Preach. So, it, you know, just because you work in that environment, it, you know, we are all human. Yeah. Accept your own humanity. 
All right. And when you accept your own humanity, understand that sometimes some bruises can only be healed by with outside help. Right. And counselors are usually mediated. I'll tell you this, just just off the rip, you'll be surprised how many couples we sat with where we had where the woman called us, but we had to bring the dude into the conversation and let him know that, you know what? I think it ain't you, you. It ain't you. <laughs> like my man, it ain't you, <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> I commend you. Right. <laughs> it's not you. You understand what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's very important, or or that is equal equal parts, both of them. So uh, understand that it's not a shame to do that. Um, the last thing is understand something that I said earlier today is that uh, do not fear conflict. Do not fear conflict. Conflict exposes our weaknesses, but it also exposes our growth into oneness. Right. There's always going to be a conflict. Always. It, you'll never be rid of it. Right. Never. But how you respond to it will evolve based upon your growth. Yeah. Com- that makes sense? Conflict should only be exceedingly concerning if you're constantly having the same conflict over and over again, and then the response to that conflict gets more volatile right. and worse and worse. Like if it becomes like the same thing and we keep fighting over the same thing over and over again, somebody is either not listening or somebody's not being heard in that. And that's when you definitely want to get a third party. Absolutely. Involved. You want to look at it like this. If I keep going to my car and it's not starting, then there's probably a need for a mechanic. Mm. If I keep going to something and the conflict is that it's not working, then we need someone who can go ahead and get this working. Right. Does that make sense? Right. So never think about it like they just don't get it or they won't get me or they won't hear me or so on. We know how you feel. But the idea of conflict is letting you know that there's something going on here that's not working. How are you going to handle it? How can you handle it yourself? And if you haven't handled handled this same situation and it's been repetitive, then you need some help. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Martins podcast, recorded live on social media and distributed to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. Now we can't grow without you, so help spread the love. Wherever you found us, rate like, share, and leave a review. We are grateful to you and appreciate you in advance. Do you have a question for us? Then visit askthemartins.com. Ask us your question or ask for a friend. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Ask the Martins podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.